Oh God, what a beautiful prayer. That's who we want. It's not what we want, that's who we want. In the few moments we have left, would you give us Jesus, please? We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, speaking of bad dates, have you ever heard this proverb? I have no idea who composed it. It might have been Confucius, I don't know, Benjamin Franklin, doesn't matter. But the proverb goes like this. Why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? You say, Dwight, what's up with that prof? We're not a bunch of farmers or agriculturalists. We don't care about buying and selling cows and we're not interested in milk right now. Let me put that uh, uh, proverb on the screen for you. I want you to look at it. Why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? Hmm. You ever wish you could go on Ancestors.com and find out who your past, who, who's in your past? I mean, really, truly in your past. I see those commercials on TV and I'm saying, oh, I'd love to try that. You know what I'd really love to do? I'd, like, I'd love to type in the salient information and find out Jesus' past. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to do Ancestors.com on Jesus? That'd be perfect. Turns out, that's exactly what God did once upon a time. He did an Ancestors.com on, on Jesus. And guess what? It's the one chapter nobody wants to read in the whole Bible because it's the, it's the begats. It's the old King James begats. Begats, begats. And yet tucked away in that family tree, you got to check this out. Tucked away in that family tree, you would not believe who's hanging in there. This is his tree, Jesus' tree. Come on, let's check it out together. We'll do an Ancestors.com with Jesus. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1, 1. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. This is, this is, uh, this is worth seeing. Check it out. Oh, what's the page number for the, uh, uh, the pew Bible? Page 649. Okay, let's go. Matthew 1, 1. I'll be in the New International Version. This is the genealogy, all right? This is the ancestor.com. This is the family tree of Jesus. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because, you know, you have to be related to David and you have to be related to Abraham if you're somebody in the community of Israel. Okay, so let's go. Come on, get on with it. Abraham, verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Wait a minute, hit the pause button right there. Are you talking about the Abraham? You talking about the Abraham that, uh, you know, kept trying to have kids with his wife? He kept trying to have kids, trying to have kids, gets nothing, nothing, nothing. And finally she says, you know what, I have this pretty little Egyptian handmaid, a little slave girl. Why don't you go to bed with her? Are you talking about that Abraham that had a little twinkle in his eye and said, I'll take you up on that offer, wife? Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Abraham ends up with two firstborns because Sarah, his wife, finally has a firstborn. But you want to talk about dysfunction? Those two firstborns, that would be Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, and that would be Isaac, the other firstborn, the father of the Jews. We have been living with that dysfunction forever and ever. Amen. I thought this was going to be a perfect family tree. Well, that's just one bad beginning. I think it strengthens that after that. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was the father of Jacob. Hey, wait a minute. You talking about that Jacob that ran away from home because he got his brother so ticked off the brother's going to kill him? Yep, that's the one. He saw he's going to kill him. So he runs away. 
This is Jacob that runs to his uncle, far, far away, Uncle Laban. And he says, I, he sees the beautiful sisters. Whoa, you've got some great sisters, Uncle Laban. I'll take, uh, I'll, take, uh, I'll take the younger one. I'll take Rachel, please. He says, fine. You want Rachel? Seven years. That's all it'll cost you. Seven years working for me, buddy, and you got the sweetest girl on earth. He worked seven years, and then it's his wedding night, but they didn't have electricity back then, so the bedroom was dark when he went into it and didn't realize it wasn't Rachel in the bedroom. It was Leah, the older sister. Woke up in the next morning and said, I am so ticked off. He says, it's a little custom. We do this. Uh, give me seven more years, and I'll give you the other one. Can you believe it? This is Jacob who has two wives, and both wives, by the way, come to him and say, I'm having a hard time having babies now, so would you please take my little handmaiden? He ends up with two more handmaidens. We're talking about four wives and 12 boys and one girl, 12 sons. <laughs> oh, talking about a bad date. Man, Jacob had a bad, bad date. <laughs> it probably gets better as we go. Okay, so what is this? Jacob, Jacob. Jacob, uh, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Okay, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, oh, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Hit the pause button right there. Are you talking about, is this the Judah, uh, that, that Jesus was, a, was the tribe of Judah? Judah, is this is that Judah? That's that Judah. No, you can't tell me the Messiah is coming from the tribe of Judah. I'm telling you, boy, that's exactly what's happening here. Because... Sad story. Judah's wife died. He's very lonely. He says, I'll deal with this loneliness because I see a prostitute on the side of the road and I'll get that girl and I'll sleep with her. He sleeps with her, not knowing that she had set this thing up. She's his daughter-in-law. And he has two babies through the prostitute, babies that should have been his grandsons but turned out to be his sons. Now, that's a bad date. That's the definition of a bad date. The Messiah. This is the Messiah's family tree. This is the blood that flowed in Jesus. He has all this blood in him. Well, surely it gets better now. Oh, yeah, right. Drop down to verse 5. Solomon. Some of you are saying salmon. No, that's a fish. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was, what's that, what's that, what's that next name? Rahab. Now we've got a real live prostitute on our hands because she was the, the madam whore of Jericho, and she hid the two Israelite spies. You remember that? Now, she gets saved, her family gets saved, and she, she marries, get this, she marries into the family tree of the Messiah. So, Jesus has Rahab, the prostitute's blood, rolling through his veins. Oh, my, drop down to verse 6. And Jesse was the father of King David. Oh, well, at last we got to the king. Jesse was the father of King David. Oh, and by the way, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, had been... Are you talking about, are you talk, is this the David and Bathsheba thing? Yeah, this is the David and Bathsheba thing. You're exactly right. He impregnates her while her husband is working for him in the army. He comes back. He says, I got to kill this man. She's, she's told me she's pregnant. This is that David. He kills the pagan husband who is more faithful than he. Takes the wife, figures nobody knows. And then God says, oops, I saw it all. <laughs> you can't hide your sex life from God. He saw it. <laughs> yeah, this is, the, this, is, this is David and Bathsheba. But a, a, a child or two later, guess who gets born? Solomon. Oh, at last, at last, we have somebody on this family tree that's going to stand up. The wisest man who ever lived. Who doesn't love the story of Solomon? Solomon does very well. Until, you know what? Are, are there any dads here? Let me tell you something, pops. 
Your little boy is watching you like a hawk. Everything you do now, he will do later. However you live now, he will do later. He won't wait till what you do later is what he copies. He will copy you now. He is getting it on the hard disk. And Solomon turns out just like his daddy. Ends up, get, get this, ends up with 700 wives. No, serious. And 300 concubines. You know what a concubine is? She's only for sex. Okay? Reminds me of the little boy who came home from vacation Bible school. And he said, Mommy, we learned all about King Solomon today. King Solomon and his 300 porcupines. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it was a prickly, sticky mess by the time Solomon is through. I mean, porcupines. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, there they are, seven bad dates. And we're not even through the, the Messiah's family tree. We did an Ancestor.com. What's the point of this, Dwight? Why are you telling us this? Here's why I'm telling you this. See this book? Between the covers of this book, you cannot find one family without dysfunction. Not one. I dare you to try. We have to know something about the details of their family, not just a name in the genealogy. Not one. Guess what? Misery loves company. We got great company. Jesus married into a family tree that is filled with dysfunction. And if you do a little bit of the calculations, you're going to find out that these seven bad dates all had to do with sex. Can you imagine that? The Messiah chose because, look at who in the universe has ever been able to choose his own family before he's born? God's the only one that ever had a chance to choose. And so what did God choose? He chose a family tree with seven bad dates already in it. What's the good news about that? The good news about that is that that bad blood was flowing in the Messiah's veins. He knows. Sexual, sexual, sexual dysfunction. He knows all about it. Which is why we're not surprised, are we? That when Jesus makes two statements about sex, count them, two statements about sex, these are going to be, these are going to be, these are going to be explosive to the max. I'm going to share them with you. Two statements Jesus makes about sex. Pull out your uh, study guide. Pastor Ben just talked about it a moment ago. You see that card? That has a connect card on the bottom. Yeah. If you didn't get a study guide, put your hands up. Our famous and friendly uh, ushers, Ryan and Rick, will hand it to you. Just put your, put your hand up. If you're up in the balcony, put your hand up. You're watching on television right now. You're live streaming. Put the uh, title slide up, please. There you will see our website at the bottom, www.newperceptions.tv. That's where you're going. You're live streaming, of course, you're already at that site. Make sure you get this little mini-series, Roommates, Bad Dates, and Soulmates. This is part two, okay? This is part two. So you click on the part two, it'll say study guide, question mark, you want it? Click there, you got it. Then you'll have the same study guide we're going to fill in right now. Okay, Jesus makes two, count them, two radical statements about sex. Here comes Jesus and sex number one. You see that in your study guide? Jesus and sex number one. God invented it. I'm just telling you, God invented sex. Of course he did. God invented it. You know, some people think, some people think that God is just one big killjoy. Takes away the one thing we enjoy, sex. He's always trying to find a way to take sex away from me. He's not trying to take sex away from me. He's the one, he's the one who invented it. And Jesus says, I want to tell you about when he did it. Open your Bible. Let's stay in Matthew. We're not going anywhere else but in Matthew. So go to Matthew chapter 19. So you're in one, so just go a few pages over to Matthew chapter 19. My, my words here in verse 4 are in red. That, these are the Jesus-speaking words. 
All right, so this is Matthew, uh, this is Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Jesus speaking, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So... They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Isn't it intriguing that Jesus uses this one flesh language, which turns out to be this, this, this provocatively beautiful way to describe the gift of sex that the Creator personally designed for the human race. I got some news for you. Angels don't have sex. Angels can't have sex. They were made the way you and I were made. The creator said, no, I got my fingerprints all over this one, buddy. One flesh, that's my way of describing this high-octane gift that I have placed in your life. So, we, we humans are designed to leave father and mother and all the other significant others that we've had in our lives. Just say goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Not going to abandon them, but now we come to one other human being. Man comes to a woman. A husband comes to a wife, and in that union, one flesh. It's like you're stuck. Just magnets. One flesh. And what God puts together, no, 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 no. Don't try to take that apart. Put it back. Keep it together. Whoa, that's pretty radical. Uh, Brigham Young did an interesting study of 2,000 35 married people with findings that inform these. Jot these down. There are four ways that married people experience life. Put it on the screen. Let's do it. There are four ways that married people experience life. Guess what? Married people have better sex. The, the research is here. <laughs> you can go look it up. Google uh, Brigham Young University. They have better sex. All right? Number two, they have better stability. Their relationship is stable. It holds on in the midst of storm. Number three, they have better satisfaction. They're happy with what they have. Number four, they have better communication. They communicate better than people who are not married. People who are not married can have sex, but they don't have the, they don't have the best, 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 best. No. Why? Because this thing was designed. This was designed. I got to show you this. God, God created marriage. To be a fortress. Put on the screen, please, my favorite castle in the whole world, New Schwanstein. That's the Disneyland castle. We took our kids there. Not to Disneyland. That's in um, Austria. That's the castle. When you think of a fortress or a castle, that's what I think of. God says, guess what, guys? Hey, that's marriage. I have put high-octane marriage inside the protective walls of the castle. High-octane sex, high-octane marriage inside protective walls. Work within these walls and you'll be fine. It works best. You stay within the walls. Whoa. Here's a, here's a Canadian writer named Mike Mason. If you ever get a hold of this book, buy it on the spot. The Mystery of Marriage as Iron Sharpens Iron. All right? Mason's words on the screen. Is there any other activity at all which an adult man and woman may engage in together, apart from worship, he writes, that is actually more childlike, more clean and pure, more natural and wholesome and unequivocally right than is the act of lovemaking, he asks. Surely, now fill it in, surely sex 
is the deepest communion that is possible between human beings. End quote. Why? Because it has God's fingerprints all over it. It'll be better, 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 better. You do it my way, better, 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 better. That's the point. No wonder. God protects his gift of sex within the fortress of marriage. By the way, which explains Jesus' bombshell warning in the second sex statement. Let's just write, the, write it down first. Uh, Jesus and sex number one, God invented it. Now come on. Jesus and sex number two, we have dented it. You ever buy a car that's new to you? It may not be new to the, the production line because it's like five years old, but it's a new car for you. And when you buy that new car, you know every scratch, you know every little, uh, you know, malformation on it. But from this point on, nothing's going to happen to this car. I bought a 61 Volkswagen when I was in college. 61 Volkswagen. had 100,000 miles on it. I drove it out to my home in Oregon from Tennessee where I was going to school. And in Oregon, I had that car spray-painted candy apple red. I drove that car all the way back from from, uh, Portland, Oregon to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Not a scratch on it. I made sure. The second day I'm back on campus, I tell you the truth, a married upperclassman slams into my rear, right rear fender. I'm sure I did not cry visible tears, but I was weeping in my heart. This was my, this was my car. This is my baby. This is my life. And now look what you've done to it. How do you think God feels? When the enemy of the human race says, I'll take care of that sex business. How do you like that? How do you like that? By the time you got this jalopy half hanging together, just thumping down the road, out of kilter. Yeah, we dented it. God invented it. We dented it, all right. By the way, if I were the devil... You can be thankful I'm not. And I knew, as he very well does, that sex is this breathtakingly beautiful gift from the Creator uniquely for the human race. I would do everything in my diabolical power to accomplish these two objectives. Objective number one, I'm going to make certain that there is no longer any hint of the Creator in the ways humans engage in sex. I'm going to throw that manual away that came out of that garden, and I'm going to, I'm going to rip it apart, dent, explode it, nuke it, so that you won't even recognize it. You know why he's so mad at sex? There are two gifts in the garden, sex and Sabbath, and he's gone after both the S's with a vengeance. He's after sex. Why? Because if I can destroy sex, then there's no fingerprints of the Creator. And if there are no fingerprints of the Creator, then there's no, nobody believes in the Sabbath anyway. Because why? There's no creation. So he has two objectives. Number one, I'm going to destroy that. I'm going to destroy this, every semblance of a, of, a, of a representation of the Creator. And number two, if I were the devil, I would so confuse human sexuality that the divine blueprint for sex and marriage would be annihilated from the face of the earth. And I would, put that, I would put that on every billboard I could think of. I'd put that in the internet and every pop-up ad I can think of. I'd put that in the video game, every video game I can think of. I'd put that in every Hollywood movie that ever gets produced. I would put in my version of sex and destroy any evidence that there's a creator who has a blueprint and a master plan. I would just destroy it. Oh, my. Talking about an oversexed age in which we all live. As one writer put it, this is a pornified world. 
It is, isn't it? Somebody's been working overtime. I'm not surprised. Jesus' two bombshell statements about marriage. I'm not surprised. You say, Dwight, where's that second one? Okay, I'll show it to you. Just go back to Matthew chapter 5. This is the profound Sermon on the Mount. Everybody knows the Sermon on the Mount. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Red letters here for sure, Jesus speaking. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this is in the, in the form of a man looking at a woman. Guess what? You can turn it around. You can have a woman looking at a man with lust. You can have a man looking at a man with lust. You can have a woman looking at a woman with lust. I'm just warning you, Jesus says. If you lust after that person, you'll kill yourself. Wow. Yep. Has de- how has the devil deceived us so that lust becomes the springboard for sex? Let me give you three, three kinds of sex today. Put it on the screen and you'll jot these down. How has the devil done this? How has he, how has he dented this gift, pornographic sex, jot this down, please. Pornographic sex is sex without marriage. It's usually with yourself, all right? Don't act like you're surprised. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Number two, premarital sex is sex before marriage. That's sex with someone else. Number three, extramarital sex is sex outside of marriage. That's sex with someone who isn't your spouse. And all three of them, get this, Pornographic sex, premarital sex, and extramarital sex are triggered by this thing called lust. That's what Jesus calls it, lust. Hey, Dwight, what's the definition of lust? Glad you asked. Put it on the screen. Simply put, lust is I got to have it now. You know when you're really hungry? I mean, you've you missed a meal today and you just think you're going crazy. I can't, I'm about to die. When your stomach is growling, what's that stomach saying? Just feed me, feed me. If you'll feed me, I'll quit growling, Right? That's what lust is. It's a growling deep within the system. I've got to have this. I've got to have it now. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting. I don't care what the book says. I have to have it now. Yeah, that's lust. And that's what Jesus is warning us away from. Jennifer Schwartzer, in her wonderful book, 13 Weeks to Love, and I'm going to see if we can bring it to this campus, tells about what they call the Coolidge effect. You ever heard about the Coolidge effect? I hadn't heard about it either until I read. It's named after the American president, Calvin Coolidge. Everybody's heard of Calvin Coolidge. Now, here's the Coolidge effect. One day, Mrs. Coolidge, that would be his wife, observed a rooster copulating all day. I don't have to explain that word to you. You know what it means. Okay? She turns to the farmer, and she asks the farmer to tell her husband the secret to this. The president overhears and quickly asks the farmer, uh, does the rooster do this with the same hen? The farmer says, no, no, he's got to have a different hen every time. And the president said, would you please inform that to Mrs. Coolidge? Now, she writes, describing that moment, the point of this story, you see it on the screen, is that sexuality, especially male sexuality, fellas, tends to be novelty-driven. What are you talking about? Keep reading. Male rats will copulate, then tire and stop sexual activity until scientists drop a new female rat into the cage when suddenly the male feels his mojo return. 
He will continue to copulate with each partner until he literally dies of exhaustion. Mercy. Clearly, this novelty-driven sexuality moves in the opposite direction from God's plan of long-term faithfulness to one partner. Hence, Jesus' warning. What did Jesus say? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, anyone who looks at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her, with him, in that heart. What's he warning us away from? How does the proverb go? Put it up, please, for us. Why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? Do you get the proverb now? Why should I go through any kind of commitment? I can get the milk just like that. Next flick, chill. Just like that. Huh. My friend. Too bad the the wisest man who ever lived didn't follow his own counsel. This was before the 700 wives that he wrote this in the 300 uh, concubines. This is King Solomon on the screen. Proverbs 6, verse 25, 27, and 32. Do not lust in your heart after her or his beauty or let her or him captivate you with her or his eyes. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? But a man who commits adultery, that's sex outside of God's fortress of marriage, a man or a woman who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. She destroys herself, end quote. And there's some of you right now who are saying, you know what? I know that. I know that. There's no hope for me. Do you know, do you know my story? No, I don't. There's no hope for me. It's too late. I got some great news for you, sir, madam. Great news. It's not too late. It's not too late. You know why I know? Because there are two family trees. Count them. One, two. We've already seen one. Bad blood, bad dates flowing through that family tree. The Messiah, the Messiah's blood is bad blood, bad dates. But there's a second family tree, which is why he came to heal the first family tree. And they nailed him up to the second tree. They nailed him up, and that has now become the family tree for every sexual sinner in the world, you and me and all the rest of them. You got it? That family tree, family tree number two, is your assurance that you can turn this baby around. You can write a new chapter, and the the gift of that life, we sang about the blood a moment ago, the gift of that life assures you, spotless. Wow, somewhere in the Bible it reads, and the Lord has laid on him, the man on the center cross, he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Somewhere else it reads, by his wounds we are healed. Get this, bad blood and bad dates can be healed by saving blood that flows from the Messiah of the universe, the king, the rightful king for this planet. It's not too late. It is not too late at all. This good news is ready for you to embrace now. But before you do, or while you're doing it, I want to invite my three college friends to come on up here. Students here at Andrews University. They're going to help me now. They joined me last week. They'll join me next week. We got the best coming last. So we wrap it up next week. But uh, we're talking about William, Rebecca, and Alex introduced them to you last week. So, guys, we've been, we've, been, uh, we've been talking about this. We've been studying. In fact, William, you were the one that was assigned to actually study sexuality for us. 
We got we to really bring this down to where the rubber meets the road. Let's not, I got a study here that we were going to look at together. 26 different research studies that prove that premarital sex will never reach the bar of marital sex. God's fingerprints all over those, but uh, I'm going to skip that. Alex, when we were chatting uh, earlier this week, I like the, some of the practical stuff that uh, you got through your folks, just kind of watching life. Tell us about this, uh, this 11 o'clock thing. Yeah, so something my mom taught me and I've truly discovered that it was helpful to me and that I've learned by is nothing good ever happens after 11 o'clock. Um, and that philosophy of being with other people, of somebody that you're attracted to or stuff like that, because it just puts you in a situation where there's too many chances to, take, to make too many wrong mistakes. There's been studies done here at Andrews, other places, that the majority of times that people have sex or um, have a situation that puts them in the opportunity are by, uh, by circumstances and by uh, just happening. And so it's really important that we put ourselves in the right uh, location. The other thing that's really important is that we surround ourselves with people that will help promote good relationships with the opposite sex. In the Bible, in First. Uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three. it says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And 34, Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say to this, you, uh, say to this, your shame. So we really need to surround ourselves with people that are going to help us be the best that we possibly can and be smart about the decisions that we make so that we don't have long-term consequences. That was great. Yeah, glad you found that one. Uh, birds of a feather flock together. And we can set ourselves up for temptation, can't we? Yeah, go to a club and spend it, you know, date at a club, uh, just get a little Netflix flicks or whatever, <laughs> chill around. Uh, it, just, it, it happens just like that. Yeah. Alex, thank you. So, William. You're the guy that did the research here. Uh, you guys are Gen Zers, okay? We got a lot of Gen Zers sitting right here. So you've been, somehow been able to steer through this thing. This is landmines everywhere, landmines. So just speak as a Gen Zer to us now. What, what are, what, how do you avoid these, these sexual landmines? Oh, yeah, of course. You, big part is communication. And... Maybe we all know, maybe we don't know, but the majority of our communication actually comes from our body language. And I'll give you an example. I got my brother Marcos up here on the front. You can ask him. If a girl came up to him, maybe tease him a little bit, bit her lip, what is he going to get from that? Just think about it. Think about how you, how you act, how your interactions are. Now, that's a radical example. And it's not just girls. It's guys, too. Where are your eyes going when you're talking to someone? Are you looking at her eyes? Are you looking at her butt? Mmm. Where are you putting your hands? Thinks about, think about what you're thinking about. People sense that. It comes through. So a question maybe you can ask yourself is, what is your body saying? It's good. I like that. Yeah. What is, what is she thinking your body is saying? Yeah, yeah or he. Yeah. Hey, uh, Rebecca. Uh, yeah, I just popped this on you uh, this morning. But here you are, a, a Gen Z young woman, and 
The truth is, girls get sucked. I got I to hang with this guy. I don't want to lose him. And they roll over. They roll over. Okay, you want this? You want your milk without buying a cow? I'll give you the milk. Uh, what would you say to girls that might be just caught on the edge of that? Any counsel for them? Well, personally, I think that God is writing a story for all of us, and especially love stories. And he's, whether it's someone special or out there, he's writing that story. And a lot of the times we do have options. And that's a beautiful thing about our walk with God, too, is he gives us free will. But not everything that's being handed to us is where we're supposed to go. So just because we have a couple of good guys that we think would be good friends, maybe they're just supposed to be friends. And so for me, one ground thing that I think about is just... How do I see myself? Um, and the world teaches us a lot of the times to, to love ourselves and to love ourselves and put ourselves before other people. But I think what's more important is to think about how God sees us. And as a young woman, that is, how, who am I as a daughter of God and how am I being seen? And so in my relationship with other people, whether it be the, uh, a different individual and a special individual, whoever they may be, it's... Who am I as a daughter of God, and how can that character flow into the next person? And also on the topic of if there are some of us that have been walking this path, and you know we want to turn back and we don't know where to go, I think there's still always hope for that. Don't give up. Don't give up. In fact, let's talk about that just to, to, as a wrap for the four of us. Okay, so a, a friend who has crashed and burned sexually, all right, crashed and burned, comes to you just totally distraught. What kind of counsel are you going to give? Okay, so what, what does that, that friend do? What would you recommend? Um, Rebecca, I want to go back to you. Because David crashed and burned. There is absolutely no question. David was the, the biggest crash and burn sexually that the world knows from Scripture. It's just that famous. Uh, give, some, give some hope. I mentioned uh, just a second ago about free will. And I think that free will not only applies in the choices that we make towards making decisions on what is good and what is not, but it also still applies in making decisions towards walking back to him. And so there's a verse that I want to share with everyone here. And in fact, it is from King David. Um, in Psalms 51, 7, verse 7, 9, and 10, it says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 9 says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It strikes me, uh, William and uh, Rebecca and Alex. That, that's really describing spiritual virginity. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to start over with you. I can't take the scars away, but God can turn our scars into stars. So let's not give up just because we have scars. But I can give you a new virginity. If any woman is in Christ, she's a new creation. Creating me a clean heart. That, that text is so critical. People that are listening right now or watching right now really need to hear that. They need to just know that God says, we can, we can build again. Now, once God does that rebuilding, final comment, Will, once God does that rebuilding, what do I do so that I don't go into those, those landmines again? It's a, it's a great question, and, and it's answered in Psalms 119, verse 1. That's what it says. It asks a question, how can a young person stay pure? And the response is actually in the verse. It says, by obeying your word. And it's a daily thing that you have to do. The days you don't feel like it is the days you have to do it the most. <laughs> you wake up, 
first thing you say, God, please give me this, this will to, to get into your word, to, to learn you, to learn how you are, to, to, to become a, in relationship with you. And that's the secret to it all. But we were talking with the kids a moment ago. GPS, you stay here. You're not going to go down into that muck and be stuck. Stay with me. Yeah, good counsel, guys. One more thing, actually. Psalms 32, 5. Just to show you how much this works. David was in a place of guilt, and he prayed. The moment he confessed his sins, you guys can check it out, Psalms 32, 5. It says at the moment that he confessed his sins, his guilt was no more. <laughs> Washed away. And it works. Yeah. It's a fact. Will, Rebecca, Alex, God bless you. Thank you for, for sharing with us. Tell you may. Yes, yes. Would you please take out your Connect card? So uh, Pastor Ben just talked about this. It's a little card that's uh, attached to your study guide. You've already filled your study guide out. But let's take a moment just to respond to what... Uh, the students just share with us and our, our teaching in the Word, Jesus' words. Uh, put your name on the front of it. You know how to do this. Our ushers are moving in place. They're going to get this for you. Uh, put an email address, and I'll show you why. We're going to turn the card over. Your name, uh, email address, turn the card over. My next step today is box number one. I want my bad dates to be healed by Jesus through his second family tree. Oh, I hope that you're like... I hope our hearts are alike here. Uh, please, Jesus, please. Second family tree, give me that cleansing. Put a check mark there. Box number two, thank God for his offer to cleanse me. Please send me, now here's why the email address. Please send me a collection of those promises, those high octane, those dynamite promises. You put a check mark there electronically, we'll send you a collection of the best promises, just mountaintops in scripture. And every morning, don't, don't, don't look back. The devil's gonna just breathe on you, girl, to give up. It's too late. Boy, it's too late. I told you it's too late. The devil practices that nonsense. It's an entirely bald-faced lie. You got a fresh beginning, and every morning you look at these texts, and you put your finger on them, and you say, Jesus, a new beginning today. I have to have this new beginning today. And every day you wake up a spiritual virgin. Every day you wake up clean, new creation. Box number three, I plan to share the good news with someone else this next week. Don't keep it to yourself. One of the best ways to learn good news is to share good news, so pass it on to somebody. You got the study guide. You have means to do that. God bless you and me as we determine we are going to walk by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ straight toward that second family tree every single day until he comes. Oh God, we sing this prayer to you. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid. Oh, thank you for that second family tree. We'd be dead without it. But now we have hope. We have promise. A new creation. Spiritual virginity. A clean heart. Oh, Father God, we receive from you the gift you always intended for us. And send us forth with that quiet joy. And gratitude for Jesus. Amen.